Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another Emerging Tech Talks with me, Donovan White. Today, I have the pleasure of sharing the mic with Nicole Anderson, Managing Partner and CEO of Red Sand. Good morning, Nicole, and thanks for sharing the mic. Hi, Donovan. Good morning. Great to be here. Now, just as a a very, very quick intro for me, Red Sand Labs is a venture building practice helping design, build and run token-based business models. But I wonder if for our audience... Nicole, if you can just put a bit more flavor around that and tell them what you do and how you help companies. Sure, I will do. Um, So Red Sand actually has two parts to it. Um, Absolutely right, our labs business has been um, building ventures um, holistically for the last eight years across a number of areas in financial technology innovation. But moreover, for the last 18 months, we've focused almost entirely on helping enterprise mandates, uh, large mid-sized companies rethink their future using blockchain and tokenization. And anyone who is anyone knows that blockchain, when deployed with with bravery um, and enthusiasm, gives you license to change the game. So it generally calls for a very different way of thinking about your business processes, how you design your technology roadmap, the people you hire, and we form satellite businesses to test this new concept for companies. So that's our labs activity. Um, And because of our passion in the space, and actually because we've had a team of geeks who have traded crypto for, uh, for as equally long, We have found ourselves drawn into the world of um, crypto assets, building portfolios and trading actively. And that has allowed us to shape um, a crypto desk. So we perform um, active trading for clients, um, institutional clients only, um, helping them get exposure to crypto assets. Absolutely. So the business has sort of evolved, really, and I suppose it's still evolving, isn't it, really? Every day is a lesson. Absolutely. In this space, and that's what makes it so exciting. So so, so what's your passion? Tell us us what what drives you and what, what makes you get out of bed in the morning. So I think, um, you know, the red sand environment and and world is is testament to what drives me. I love to push the boundaries and and look at new things. Uh, I have, I I sat down with my wealth manager, actually, which is quite an irony in itself, um, the other day. And he he tested my risk profile, which he does every five years or so. Um, And over the years, specifically as I've been involved with red sand, my own risk appetite has gone way up um, and I tested a five out of six so you know I'm just kind of one measure away from actually being in a in a casino I guess in terms of risk appetite so I love the world of risk trial and error and and hence innovation um, and you know London is an amazing center for that because there's so much opportunity to 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 deploy free thinking and look at the future so that is really uh, what what drives me. Absolutely, it sounds like you're totally, totally immersed in this, which you which you need to be. I'm not sure about your risk appetite at six, though, for being in the crypto. <laughs> five game. out of six. It was five out of six. <laughs> oh, five care. out of six is very different. Five out of six is much better. I was a bit concerned then. So, listen, how does how does an institution decide if it's the right time to get on board? How does an institution? that is obviously concerned about mitigating risk, is concerned about shareholder and stakeholder value. How do they make that decision and say, yes, this is something that we need to do and we should be doing? 
So what does an investment management function consider when they look at crypto? Well, first of all, you know, the first thing we say is you have to understand this new asset class. It is fundamentally completely different to any other traditional asset class of the past. The mechanisms for return, understanding the deep understanding required of the technology um, and the fact that this is um, essentially an asset that has its own terminology, its own um, reference structures and its own valuation potential mean that they are having to get their knowledge way up. Sure. So um, there is a big knowledge uh, curve yes. yeah, to, yeah. to, to attack. <laughs> um, so once, once they understand the landscape, then what we have found most effective is actually helping them get into the market by simple, very small test trades and, and, and testing small exposure to crypto assets so that they can understand um, certain pairings of cryptos, they can understand the, the volatility potential. Um, and very often, this is exactly the right way to actually expose some of their more progressive clients to the asset class. There was a time 18 months ago where, and you've heard it on the airways, where, you know, the kind of throwaway comment that if you're getting into crypto, you know, you put aside what you prepared to lose. Absolutely. We've We've moved away from that, yeah. I believe. You know, our our findings in terms of the activity that we have been involved in and the return value that we put to uh, have um, returned back to clients is generally if you bullish, we would say 6%. 6% yeah. Yeah. And, and 1% or 2%. Correct. Exactly. That is… I've is, been watching your videos. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that, you know, that is generally the kind of portfolio exposure we would expect to deliver to our clients. And so we're quite confident in in exposing them to that. But, you know, there are all other kinds of restrictions that um, institutions need to think about. First of all, so the knowledge is the first thing. Then they need to consider, right, okay, how do they protect their clients and educate their clients? Um, Where in the value chain do they sit? Um, Are they going to get direct exposure to crypto assets and trade actively themselves? Are they going to rely on, you know, a desk, an external desk desk to fulfill for them? And then there's all kinds of things they need to consider there. And then the last thing they need to consider is, of course, regulation, because the regulatory landscape across um, the world is highly diverse. um, And this gives them both opportunity and threat. You know, many institutions are considering regulatory arbitrage. Um, depending on you know where they set up their fund structure, yeah, um, or portfolio exposure. So armed with that, I think you know most institutions are then kind of ready to go yes. to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, it sounds as if it's very much a test and learn at this stage, and 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 engaging organisations like yours to to support them from a from a knowledge um, and expertise perspective as well. I think that you know an asset an asset class like this and technologies like this are constantly constantly changing every single day there's new innovation so at what stage do you think we are do you think we're at the innovation stage or the early adopter stage where do you think we are with this asset class and and technologies i think we're at the early adopter stage um so there is there is now i feel given that you know we do this all day long uh, we've moved beyond the very ever ever you know the very um the kind of pushback and and deep skepticism skepticism we are there's general recognition that crypto assets are here to stay 
And that has been amplified by the, you know, some of the more progressive regulators around the world. The fact that the FSB, who is now working alongside, you know, the G20 finance ministers to understand how both regulators and central banks get their heads around virtual assets, including crypto assets, yeah, is a big yeah. thing. And of course, you know, the world still looks at the SEC. Yes. Um, and whilst the SEC has fundamentally taken a stance of, well, Base, basing their um, approach to crypto and their guidance to crypto on Bitcoin, which they classify as a cryptocurrency, not as a security, they are beginning to think about how um, regulated entities in the US get exposure to crypto assets through the likes of uh, financial instruments like ETFs. So, you know, when when these bodies and associations and central authorities begin to actually publish guidelines, by the way, there's an amazing, um, I think a 300-page global crypto regulatory white paper that came out yesterday by the FSB. FSB. Um, I can send it to you. You you know the world is moving, and yeah, so absolutely. so I think um, I think we are very much at the early adopter phase. Okay, yeah. and and I think I think it's worth noting not only government and institutions that are taking positive steps forward. The likes of JP, dare I mention them, Citibank, Fidelity, and Morgan Creek are all doing exciting things as well, and all taking positive steps forward as well. Uh, indeed, they are. You know, in, in all very very different ways, yes. covering covering exposure, covering cons- big considerations. Of, of custody, looking at, you know, the spectrum of risk profile and how they develop instruments to to cater for various appetites in risk with crypto assets. So it's it's fascinating to see how how diverse the approach and the adoption of mm. of, of building portfolios and cryptos are. Absolutely. Now now I know that Red Sand work with many, many customers and clients in this space. I just wonder if you could share with us a use case where there has been an adoption of the business business model and, a, and, and, it, and it showcases, you know, digital assets or crypto technologies? Sure. Um, so we, funny enough, our, our best showcase is a, is a client. Uh, I'm, I'm not able to share too much detail, of course, but it is a, a client that is um, not a financial services organization. They're actually a company that have been a a pioneer in a real estate development, but right, a sustainable right. real estate development. And they are uh, Scandinavian based. They have built their business based on, you know, the best of the best in terms of delivering quality and sustainable environmentally um, sensitive buildings, but also their entire commitment to quality has been paramount. Now, you know, and I know that investing in anything green for probably the last decade has mm. been pretty, number one, pretty low return for most investors. And property is, is probably the most expensive asset class to enter and the slowest to get your return on. So we've been working with them to actually transform the investor experience and return by tokenizing all their properties. So number one, giving investors a lot more flexibility in how they assign portions of their investment allocation. So you you actually make portfolios much more liquid. So investors are able to 
reassign their funds yeah. across a portfolio even before the properties are completed. Sure. Um, but also the transparency of, of seeing the, you know, what goes into these buildings, what goes into the supply chain, how things are being delivered, will they be on time, is immense value to, yes. to investors. Investment. Ethical, Ethical, absolutely. Now, the fantastic thing about this ecosystem is it literally is we've built an entire um, – so the whole platform strategy, the tokenized platform strategy will mean that every project that they, they build or deliver will be listed by themselves and open to investors, but they could also equally – use the platform, this this tokenized funding platform for third party um, mm. uh, developers. Sure. Now, so that's blockchain tokenization sure. um, use case, very strong, very powerful, and it's accelerating tremendously for them. And that's great news. Yeah, no, yeah, fantastic yeah. use case, fantastic use case. I, I think property is definitely one one of um, the, the sort of assets that I think will be one of the first to, to be materialized and to be taken on board by the general consumer. And yeah. I, Absolutely, yeah, exactly. absolutely. So the last the last twelve months in this space has been exciting to say the least. What what's what's the, what's your biggest learning from from the last twelve months in in the in the crypto um, digital asset space? What, what's your biggest learning? Oh gosh, there there are many. Um, I think the the biggest the biggest learning is that this is probably one of the great levelers in finance meets technology. You know, yes, we've had the fintech revolution in inverted commas for the last seven years. But actually, you know, if we look at the success of fintech innovation really in market, they, they really, I mean, there's millions and not, if not billions spent on innovating in, in finance for the mm. last seven years. Yeah, but yeah. what I find absolutely fascinating and what has been the biggest leveler and learning for me is actually this is a completely new, to quote the terrible phrase, paradigm. And it is literally the leveling of the greatest financiers and brains in finance meets the greatest brains and, yes. and capability in, in, in technology. technology. And it's very humbling to be right in the intersection of it. And I think what we do, but you know, this is just because of where we've been and what we've done, is we we're trying to bring these two very disparate worlds together. So I think there's very little for, uh, room for arrogance. The the biggest learning, I think, is the continued learning. And either side of the fence, those that think they've got it, you know, they can apply old world thinking yes. um, or just reinvent or rehash what they've done before, yeah. I think is doomed for failure. Yeah. Uh, it's it's been a leveler for a lot of institutions and a lot of individuals. Yeah. Absolutely. Now I, I know that you travel all over the world speaking on this on this very subject, and I just wondered if you could share with us, in your opinion, what's the most progressive region, I suppose, or space that in, within this space? What what's the most progressive region with regards to this this space? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to say Asia. Right. You know, we. I mean, I haven't directly been in Asia for a few months, but I the sentiment, you know my kind of my close friends and, and colleagues in the industry have and in fact I'm meeting one today and whilst you know we are fixated by some of the kind of economic and political you know orders of the day yeah, um, yeah, in, in Europe yeah, yeah, and we yeah. are deflected by some of the frustrating macro considerations Asia doesn't have that so you know the appetite is insatiable for mm. learning and adopting the, the this new this new technology and, and finance opportunities 
opportunity. So I, I definitely see that. We see flows. We see demand, buyer mandates coming from Asia more often than any yeah, other. Absolutely. And of course, there are two reasons for that, I, I believe. First of all, there's a positive, you know, openness and pioneering progressive mindset to this is definitely something that we're in, you know, we're in a long run of a future wealth creation opportunity is the one side. The other side is, of course, there are some very big restrictions in certain territories and countries in Asia, which are banning Mm. exposure to crypto. And unfortunately, you know, people are finding ways around it um, through intermediaries, through brokers. So we we see both. We see both. But I I would definitely say Asia Asia. is, is definitely is one. And then it's not big, of course, but it is symbolic. Uh, we were speaking about, you know, various island jurisdictions before the podcast yeah, started. Yeah. So you are seeing this this awakening and this uh, these these quite small uh, jurisdictions with very big voices looking at crypto and the new crypto economy mm. as ways for which they can create economic right. development opportunities. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant, absolutely yeah. brilliant. And, and again, it goes back to the point that you mentioned about being a leveler. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. Totally. So, I mean, just some stats around that as well. I I was surprised to learn that the UK only has 1% of the total global trading of crypto on a daily basis, 1%, which is about 200 million, which which says that we're not really significant players Mm -hmm. in this. Moving on from that. Do you, do, you, do you think that blockchain technology, digital assets and all of that ecosystem, do you think that should be added to the education curriculum for, for, the, for the UK and Europe? Oh, it's a brilliant question. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at just user adoption, I don't know if you've got children. I've, oh, I've, only, got, I've only got stepchildren. Um, but if I look at my team, mm, you know, mm. we've got huge diversity, thank goodness, in mm. our team, um, age, gender, you name it. Um, and if I look at the just the natural affinity to a- adoption of crypto in my own team um, amongst, you know, people of 20, 25 and below, it's just like completely natural, yeah. um, you know, for them to transact, um, for them to wealth create. They take it very, very seriously. So, so that's the one thing. Then if you look at more formative economies of the world and you look at what crypto presents in terms of rails, um, the ability to move money safely, securely, transparently. I spend a lot of time in Africa, definitely a massive market, right? And the demographics speak for themselves. Young people are using and are adopting crypto. We are being pulled into all kinds of, of projects and thought leaders for how Africa adopts crypto. Sure. So do I think so? Absolutely. We've already debated, you and I, the um, the viability of, of crypto, the fact that 2019 by many is, is touted as being the year of, of major adoption for crypto. Sure, sure. The institutional market is moving into it. It's not going away and therefore it is validated. It is absolutely. Right? No, yeah. absolutely. No, thank you very much. And I and I wholeheartedly agree with you. I, I think if, if the UK, particularly I, I speak from the UK perspective, does not want to get left behind in, in, in the future years. And, and I think this should be this should be definitely something that's on the, the government agenda, education. Thank you very, very much nicole it's been an absolute pleasure sharing the mic with you where are you going to be speaking next if anyone um, wants to come and yeah i'm speaking where am i speaking next i'm going to be in estonia in may right. which will be fun um i'm going to be um speaking in london in london uh, london tech week so Great. look out for me then gosh 
you caught me there. I think there's something else, but yeah. yeah. May, May, definitely Estonia, back in London. Are you in Malta? So good. In May? No, no, I'm not in Malta okay. in May. Okay. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing the mic. This has been another Mad4 Digital Emerging Tech Talk, and we look forward to catching up with you soon. Um, many more exciting new talks coming up, including quantum computing and the future of tech for education. Thank you very much and goodbye.